This is Data Basement. In today's show, you're going to learn a very unique technology that allows you to do time series data analysis like you never have before. Joining us is Director of Engineering from Shakti, Fintan. Hello, Fintan. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you are today? Thanks for having me on. Uh, so yeah, my name is Fintan Quill. I'm the Director of Engineering at Shakti Software. Uh, so I, I wear multiple hats. We're, we're a startup. Uh, I can go into the, the company in a little bit more detail. In terms of my background, I was born and raised in a, a village in West Dublin called Chapel Is it? so in Dublin, Ireland. Um, in my education, I attended an all-Irish secondary school, so I spoke the Gaelic language for much of my existence. And then I went to Trinity College Dublin, where I studied um, a BA in mathematics and then a BAI in computer and microelectronic engineering. So I did a lot of hardware and software uh, and kind of everything in between. And then as my final dissertation, I studied image compression uh, analysis using principal components analysis, which, you know, 10 plus years later now became one of the you know, great things behind the whole uh, machine learning and deep learning revolution. Um, and then I was initially supposed to be doing a PhD after that. But unbeknownst to me at the time, our application process was to do it half time in Dublin and half time in Prague. But unfortunately, by technicality, my funding got rejected as the Czech Republic wasn't part of the EU at the time we made the submission. And um, so one year later, and I would have got the funding, no problem at all. So then I was put on the curb a little bit because I, I was unemployed, and even though I had planned to be on this PhD. Um, so my parents were like, well, you got, got to go get a job now. We're not going to support you any longer. So uh, I started searching for a job and uh, I found a job with a, a small company at the time up in Northern Ireland by the name of First Derivatives. So I came on board with them as a consultant uh, and worked with them and their headquarters up in Newry. And then I was sent to projects over the world with them. Um, and they actually worked with KX Systems, um, whom you know, I later came to work with as well. Um, so I worked with First Rivers for five years. Um, I worked in London for a little bit, and then I came over to New York permanently in late 2006. And then I left them, and I had been doing KDB Plus consulting with them. And then I joined um, Nomura as a consultant full-time. So I set up my own you know, company, as it were, uh, called Quill Quant Incorporated, which was just me for about a year and a half. And then at that time, I was actually looking to buy an apartment. So I went to a bank and they said, you can't get a mortgage if you're a consultant. You know, this is after the credit crisis. So it was difficult to get things going. So I had to get a full-time job if I wanted to get, uh, you know, buy an apartment. So uh, then, you know, I was looking around for employment and I chatted with one of my friends at First Derivatives and obviously they were closely aligned with KX and they said, well, KX are looking for a full-time representative. So uh, I was taken on board of KX in 2012, and I worked with them for six plus years. Uh, I left in mid-2018, and then I went traveling for a little bit. And then in early January of last year, 2019, I started working with Shakti. And yeah, that's about it. In terms of you know other stuff in my background, I'm an avid runner, so people can follow me on my Strava profile if they're interested. So Excellent. that's about it, really. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a great uh, story and a, and a very interesting narrative on, on how you ended up uh, where you are. So, I mean, uh, for people who may not be familiar with the technology uh, yet, uh, basically, you have been working with uh, databases uh, 
so to speak, for a while. So how did you end up uh, working with databases and why, kind of? Yeah, so initially I started working at databases. Uh, in university, I was doing you know bits and pieces with databases, but I was doing more processing and digital signal processing and you know image processing and stuff like that. But I didn't go into formal databases really, you know, from a more hardcore perspective until I joined First Derivatives and I was uh, programming in um, the K and the Q languages uh, with KDB and KDB Plus which obviously the founder of Shakti is Arthur Whitney. So he created those platforms. So I've essentially been using his technologies for quite a bit of time. I've used other database technologies as well. Um, I, I worked in a fixed income system called Calypso and systems like that were built on Oracle and Sybase backend databases as well. So I have some familiar, familiarity of those platforms um, as well as some uh, NoSQL platforms. But primarily from a database perspective, I worked in you know different variants of the K language and um, uh, KDB Plus and Q uh, and now Shakti. So. Great. So uh, for folks that may not be familiar with uh, this technology, could you speak a little bit about what is KDB Plus and, and the uh, respective languages that you mentioned and, and how they are uh, beneficial? Sure. Yeah. So it all goes back to a guy called, I guess, Ken Iverson um, back in the 50s and 60s. So he was an IBM fellow. He was a Canadian and he started off with um, a, a paper called Notation as a Tool as a Tool of Thought, which uh, won the uh, Turing Award. So he's a, a very prominent um, guy in the space. And his whole idea was creating a programming language that could represent the mathematical notation you know, as near as possible. So unlike a lot of other programming languages at the time, which were kind of abstracting the problems away, he wanted to basically get rid of any translation layer in between you know, the person expressing the problem and the computer manipulating and interpreting the problem. So he wrote this very, you know, considered, I guess, somewhat terse notation. And then as a result of that, one of the people he took on under his wing was a, a gentleman by the name of Arthur Whitney. Um, so he's, he's my current boss and he was my former boss at KX as well. Um, so yeah, so Arthur basically started to work with Ken Iverson. He was really his protege from a very, very young age. And he created um, the first interpreter, he created his own APRIEL interpreters as well. And he also created the first fragment of the interpreter for the J programming language too. And then he started off KX Systems and he created, um, oh, actually before KX Systems, he was working at Morgan Stanley and created the A and A plus languages, which are actually still in use to this day. And then he started KX Systems uh, along with Jeanette Luskarten back in 1993. And he created the K uh, programming language, the, the first version, which is K0. And now we're all the way up to, with Shakti now, we're up to, I guess, uh, technically K9 is kind of the underlying code name, although Shakti is the name of the platform. So, so that's kind of where it's all um, evolved from, essentially. Excellent. That's very interesting and in how uh, the, the history of the languages and how it all came together. So can you elaborate a little bit more on, on what Shakti is and, and what it does and what the technology is all about? Sure. So at its heart, as I mentioned, it, it's really kind of a programming language, which I know sounds very simplistic, but there's lots of stuff to add to it. And, and as I mentioned, it goes back to that historical context of Ken Iverson. But within this programming language, you can do streaming analytics. Um, it has an in-memory and a historical database. It also has very good support for time series. And we're also putting in a web server and eventually we'll be looking at cryptography further down the line. But uh, I'll hold off on, on talking too much about the cryptography pieces just yet. 
we, we want to surprise people when everything's uh, kind of ready. So it's, yeah, it's really kind of, a lot of it is really the, the full stack and um, that you can do. And um, yeah. Yeah, great. So and actually looking forward to that cryptography aspect uh, once it comes out. So maybe we will have you back exactly, yeah. as a follow on uh, follow up episode. Uh, so let, let's, uh, I guess, unpack a few of the things that you mentioned on there that sound very interesting. Uh, so you mentioned about uh, time series data analysis. So let's start there. And uh, I guess what are kind of like the applications uh, from, from your experience uh, that favor this type of uh, technology and also where do you see that this type of uh, technology is going in terms of what are other verticals or other industries that are starting to use it yeah and um, so traditionally i guess with time series analysis it's become somewhat you know sexy or attractive in the last few years but it's been in financial services you know for you know several decades now so i think financial services and other other systems like time sharing systems back in the 70s and 80s are really the, the birth of uh, in what I consider, you know, time series data. And in terms of where it's going at the moment, I think one of the big things is the real need for real time and streaming, which a lot of that is born out of the IoT uh, and the internet age. So there's lots of stuff like, you know, IoT devices, edge analytics, you know, microcontroller sensors. These are just exploded in the last few years. So there's tons and tons of data. Um, a lot of this is coming in different areas. Some of it can be in, say, aeronautics, can be in manufacturing on a an assembly floor or it could be in things like even Formula One and um, where there's sensor data coming off, you know, the, the F1 cars. Um, and then you go to other things as well, like online marketing and ad engines. And um, so you got things like clickstream data, you know, user experience data. And there's even things like where people are capturing actual where the mouse is moving on the screen, not just the clicks. So that's just generating data. And all of that data is timestamped. And then you get into other areas which will, you know, take advantage of it going forward, things like AI and machine learning. So I think just this, this part of especially the IoT space is really kind of blowing it up beyond say, the traditional domains of financial services. So I think in some ways, you know, the fintech world has been ahead of the curve in terms of time series and, and I think in big data in, in general terms. And so that's one, one of the things that we really pride ourselves on at Chakti is our support for time series. Uh, so, for example, within Shakti, we have 16 different temporal data types. So we have eight cardinal and eight ordinal. So we have month, day, hour, minute, second, uh, millisecond, microsecond, and nanosecond. And then you can convert between those data types very easily. You can do a lot of arithmetic. So you can do barring and bucketing of data. And then you can do time series joins, which very few platforms can do. So you can do your traditional joins, but then you can also do things like as of joins and window joins. Um, and that's obviously becoming very important now as people are trying to join these various different click streams of data. So you might be, you know, capturing data off uh, a weather sensor and then um, tying that into maybe what's coming off an electrical grid and seeing, okay, is there some correlation here between the weather patterns and the amount of electricity that's used on the grid so they can manage the, more, the grid more effectively. Um, so I've seen use cases like that and they're only going to continue to grow, I think, as well as there are more and more devices coming out and that the time series data is going to swamp almost all other data formats I see. So there's definitely a lot of use cases way beyond finance, which is uh, very exciting. And, and you did mention uh, specific use cases uh, related to machine learning. And we'll hold on on that a little bit. Before we get into it, you also mentioned the concept of uh, real-time analysis and uh, in-memory analysis. Uh, so 
can we learn a little bit more about the, the architecture of, of this platform? And, and can you highlight the differences for those that may not be aware on when you would may want to do in-memory analysis uh, and, and then compare it to more historical type of analysis? Yeah, sure. Uh, so one of the things that we do at Shakti is, you know, we're real engineers at heart. So what we like to do is take advantage of the, the latest and greatest in terms of hardware and be able to build and manipulate our systems to take advantage. And so obviously nowadays there's more and more memory out there. It, you know, memory is coming cheaper and cheaper. Hardware in general is coming cheaper. Uh, and then you've also got the idea of the disk subsystem has changed dramatically over the last few years. You know, 10 plus years ago, you were talking about disk and tape only, but now you have, you know, solid states, both NVMe, you know, flash, um, and then you've got things like non-volatile DIMMs um, and things coming out from, you know, Intel Optane. So in many ways, the, the lines between what's, what's disk and what's memory now are being blurred somewhat. And then you've also got CPU architectures, which are, you know, drastically changing as well. And, you know, the speed of CPUs aren't necessarily getting that much faster, but, you know, you're scaling out in terms of adding more cores to your machines. So you're having to constantly, you know, look at your system and try and change your model. And that's one of the things that we've tried to do at Shakti. And so our code base is incredibly small. So we try and keep it uh, as much of the instruction uh, data inside in the data and instruction caches as possible. So we try and hop out over to memory and beyond that uh, as little as possible. And um, from the time series perspective, then what I've, what I see in terms of use cases typically, and um, the real typical one that I'm used to is in finance where your data is coming in off the wire from various different stock exchanges or trading engines or whatever uh, execution venues there might be. And you typically store the data in memory intraday so you have all of your most recent data that you want to act on um, instantaneously, readily available in memory. And then usually what happens then is at end of day or whatever the pre-configured interval might be, you'll store that data or persist that data down to disk into what's typically known as a historical database. So then your historical database is essentially everything but today's data. So uh, you can still query that data and oftentimes you'll want to actually pre-cache that data, especially the more recent days in memory and then the older data you might want to compress uh, and encrypt uh, and put out onto you know maybe cloud servers or something like that to you know save in terms of your storage costs so uh, i've seen different you know ideas where you have like the lambda architecture and the kappa architecture where you're bringing in the streaming aspect as well where you might have say your central in memory database that's storing everything but then you might have a lot of calculation engines or streaming analytic engines running side by side which are actually running calculations as the data coming in so they might be just storing a subset of that data uh, as opposed to the in-memory database which is probably storing the full snapshot of, of that current day's data um, and one of the things that we're also trying to do at Shakti is we're trying to remove a lot of the operating system dependencies. Um, so a few years ago, our founder, Arthur Whitney, he actually built his own kind of operating system um, just, just for his own use. <laughs> and out of that, he took a lot of the ideas of, you know, the slowdowns that you get out of um, system calls and typical operating systems. And we've overridden a lot of those. So now we can actually, you know, we've got a test bed where we can run Shakti in a Docker image standalone that we can do even without an operating system. So there's things like that where we try, and it's that real kind of level of extreme engineering where you're trying to cut as many corners as possible to get that you know blazing fast performance, which is typically warranted for things like finance, um, where you know milliseconds and microseconds can mean you know millions of dollars or, or negative millions of dollars. So. 
Excellent. So you also now uh, bring uh, also interesting topics related to hardware, hardware management. You also say uh, there, there are very few software and library dependencies, which is uh, one of the challenges that I would say competing technologies have, right? Um, if you think about the, the Hadoop ecosystem uh, and other similar uh, platforms, they may have a lot of moving pieces, let's say a lot of components, a lot of dependencies. Uh, so you also mentioned that now this, uh, your technology can be uh, Dockerized. So can you almost like draw a parallel and explain uh, how you address the big data problems, uh, trying to simplify the, the hardware configuration and the deployment as much as possible? Yeah, so a lot of it goes back again to the kind of the first principles of what Ken Iverson and Arthur Whitney came up with that we try and we've always thought of ourselves as close, you know, as I mentioned, engineers where we're thinking as close to the hardware as possible. So I think just really focusing on how we can take advantage of that, especially things like Docker, where sometimes one of the issues we've seen with containerization is you want to get your, inst uh, your instance up as fast as possible, especially if you're using something like Docker in the context of, say, Kubernetes or things like that, where you want those faster lookup times. So that's one area where, in some ways, I've found the cloud has been a little bit lacking, but it's starting to improve. I know there's pro uh, projects like AWS Firecracker, where now they're, they claim to be uh, doing, I think it's sub millisecond or, or single digit millisecond startup times, as opposed to a lot of the serverless architectures at the moment, where, which can be very non-deterministic in terms of their startup times. So that's one of the things that we want to do is by you know, reducing a lot of these dependencies then our startup times are incredibly fast. So we can go into these scale out and scale up um, types of environments and um, so we can run across multiple machines in a cloud environment or, or, or scale up into a very big machine that might be in a data center or in a cloud environment as well. So I think those are the areas that we really focus on. Excellent. And now you also brought up the concept of, of performance, right? And uh, from my understanding of, of this technology and obviously coming or, or being uh, established in finance first where there's a lot of low latency uh, type of requirements. Could you give a little bit insight uh, to the listeners on and what kind of performance you would expect with differing uh, data volumes? Sure, so typically in the financial space, in terms of the volumes you'd be seeing, you'd be talking about you know hundreds of gigabytes to multiple terabytes per day and that you would typically store in memory or uh, on some you know near line volume like a, an uh, intel octane drive and then over time you could be talking you know terabytes to petabytes um, and but this is like true actionable um terabyte and petabyte data sets so uh, i i know when you speak to you know other systems in the past that i've spoken to people in other industries and they'll say that they might have like petabyte data sets but not all of that data is actionable. It might be like PDF files or image files like that and that they'll never really use so they can store them down in archival formats. But in the world of finance, if you're doing something like a backtest and a trading strategy, you need to be able to access all of that petabyte worth, petabytes worth of data potentially. So it's a different type of problem um, from a scale perspective that you're addressing as opposed to saying, okay, we're willing to take that eight hours to get it out of you know, Amazon Glacier or whatever it may be. 
um, and then take some action on it. Whereas a lot of these finance folks, they want to spin up, you know, a cluster where they're running, you know, a, a trading, a testing a trading algo and, and they want the results back in you know, a matter of minutes or even seconds. And sometimes they want to run multiple scenarios like Monte Carlo simulations, and, you know, massively parallel. So they really want to get as fast access as possible. So there's ways where you can, you know, um, save in terms of cost that you compress the data and you, you put it down uh, onto a file system. So there's other areas that we definitely want to look at going forward in terms of taking advantage of object file storage um, from the cost perspective as well. So I, I, th I would say that's one of the big areas where maybe things like finance is different from some of these other areas at this moment in time, but I think it, it's very much changing. Got it. And I'll said I would go back to machine learning just to make yep. sure we cover every buzzword out there available exactly. to us. But can you explain how uh, this technology is more suitable or especially suitable for machine learning use cases and, and some of the ones that you have already experienced um, so far with it? Sure. Yeah. So to start off, I wouldn't categorize myself as a machine learning engineer. So I'll just put that disclaimer out there. I've done a couple of courses on Coursera and things like that. But um, just judging from what I've seen, I've worked with a lot of data scientists and machine learning engineers. And the problem that I hear, that I'd say 95% of the time, the biggest complaint I hear from them is that 90% of their time is spent doing data prep and then 10% of their time is spent doing the actual data science or the work that they're really interested in. So what they're looking for is tools that can do a lot of this data preparation, um, you know, the feature engineering, the feature extraction, you know, statistical utility metrics, cross-validation, grid search, and hyperparameter tuning, and any sort of data pre-processing. That's what they're looking for a, a system like Shakti to do, because um, a lot of the, the tools that are out there, they're maybe using some open source systems which have a lot of heavy dependencies and they're not necessarily built for optimal performance. So we're, we're kind of seeing ourselves in Shakti as, you know, that first part of your machine learning pipeline where you're doing that heavy data prep. So you might be taking, you know, the CSV file, storing them in a database or they might be already in a database, hopefully in a Shakti database, and then you can take advantage of that. So number one, you know, that reduces that 90% down to 10% and then their 90% is doing their more interesting work. And there's other things we're doing, such as we've expanded our type system. So we're, we're you know, building multiple different integer types, which can be, and floating point types, which can be very uh, useful, obviously, in a, in a machine learning space. And um, at present, we're developing a Python API because, you know, Python is the, the kind of the, the way into the machine learning world because we could try and write a lot of these machine learning algos ourselves inside of Shakti, but, you know, a lot of this work is changing so rapidly that we figure the path of least resistance is to build a really high performance Python API. And then we can do all of the data processing and then ship the, you know, reduced or aggregated data sets via a very fast Python API, ideally with as little data copy as possible. So try and keep the data in or near the database where possible and only ship the necessary data you need to your model um, for training. So that, that's kind of our approach, I would say. That sounds very exciting. So uh, obviously, yeah, as you mentioned, there are a lot of uh, machine learning libraries and, and projects uh, that are out there uh, that are compatible with Python. Are there any other uh, possible uh, APIs that you think uh, further down the line that you're considering? 
And there's a lot of stuff in the time series space that it still seems to be, from what I read anyways, it still seems to be somewhat of an immature area with respects to machine learning. And um, that there's, you know, there's a lot of different models being tried out and it's, it's not quite working yet. I mean, and there's some people that are even saying that, you know, you just can't do machine learning for, say, price prediction um, for capital markets and stuff like that. So and um, there's lots of things, you know, that there's tumbling windows, there's hopping windows, there's sliding windows and there's session windows where there's a lot of these time series analysis that can be done. And some people are doing them. And I think there's going to be more done in that space. So I think that's an area where things um, can be done going forward. Uh, we also, at the moment, we currently just run on uh, CPU-based architectures. We don't have anything on GPU or FPGAs. Um, it's something we would like to look into at a, at a future point. Um, so uh, watch this space. Maybe you can ask me. The, the next time you ask me back, we can discuss uh, that perhaps. Um, so we can do you know, that more kind of a fan out where you're doing that very high uh, parallelism. And um, to date, some of the work that we've done is we've typically found that the, the bus going between um, the CPU and the GPU hasn't been, uh, the bandwidth hasn't been good enough to actually warrant sending the data over to the GPU. So, but I think that's definitely changed with some of the latest um, and greatest uh, GPUs that are out there. So I would say that's an area around things like that. And then um, <clears throat> I think integrating with languages like Python and, and making um, languages easier for the people that are in the data science domain and not necessarily in, um, say, the finance domain where you've got a very different skill set. Um, I think working and, and playing well with Python, I think, is, is really a strategic way forward for us, for sure. Excellent. So it sounds like yeah. there's definitely a lot of... Uh different things coming in the in the pipeline that are very exciting and we'll definitely uh, be happy to have you again in the future once those um, get released. So now I basically we're coming to the end. So I wanted to make sure that you had some time uh, to tell everybody what you have going on or anything uh, specific you would like to announce. This is your time to, yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah, so uh, there's there's plenty of things that people can do to to you know get their hands dirty with Shakti. So if you go to Shakti.com, that's S-H-A-K-T-I.com, and there's a download section, and we currently have our alpha uh, available there. So we should be going to beta over the next few months, and then moving towards production towards the end of the year. Uh, we also have a Google group available as well. Um, so everything you know in terms of social media and Google groups, etc., just search for Shakti DB. So that's S-H-A-K. TIDB. So our Google group is a good place to go. We've got 400 plus members um, there. So people, you know, ask questions and get responses back fairly quickly. Uh, we've also got a YouTube channel. So youtube.com forward slash C forward slash ShaktiDB. Uh, we put up some tutorials there. We had a recent meetup in New York. So um, for those that are interested in meetups as well, we have meetup groups in London, New York, and Dublin. And we're planning on doing some online meetups as well, given the current situation. And there are tutorials and documentation that we're working on as well. So they'll be coming soon. And in terms of social media, we've got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. If you just search um, under ShaktiDB or Shakti Software, you should find us there. Uh, in terms of my email address is just f at shakti.com. Um, and then my Twitter handle is at Fintan Quill, F-I-N-T-A-N-Q-U-I-L-L. So yeah, and, and please people uh, who are listening, feel free to give us feedback or you know, drop me an email directly and follow our various social channels. We'll be adding a lot more content um, to YouTube over the coming months. So that, that would be it really. Great. Yeah, this sounds- And enjoy I'm, it as well, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So it sounds like there's definitely a lot going on and uh, 
it's great uh, to have you uh, as a guest of the show. So, so thank you very much. And we look forward to all the exciting uh, releases coming from Shakti. That's great. Thanks very much, Daniel. All right. Thank you. That's it for the show today. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.